0: So if you have God's Word, open it to Jonah chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, if you have a phone, join us on you Version. Sometimes when I'm lazy and I don't want to do that, I Google Jonah 3 and I put the letters N-L-T because that's the version that we use at the chapel and it'll pop up right away in Bible Gateway. So click on that and I'm going to read Jonah 3 in its entirety uh, this morning. Uh, the Word of the Lord says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah on a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. And who can tell? Perhaps yet even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. I want you to think of a time where you took a risk. And this may have not even been a calculated risk. Something that you did where you put everything on the line. And you didn't know the outcome, and so at the end of your risk, you knew one of two things would happen. Either you would be blessed, or you know that something would not turn out well for you. The biggest risk that I've ever taken in my life, is when I asked out my wife, Paula. Now, up until that point, I had asked her out two times, and both times she said no. And I'm not just saying no, like, you know how ladies, you know when someone maybe asked you out and you said no, but you're really saying yes, but you just want them to keep asking? Paula, when she said no, she shut the door and deadbolted it about four times. She had the only keys as well. Like There was no chance getting through this door. So what do I do? I ask her out a third time. Third time, here we are, we're at this beach. And I was with Paula's family and a few of our friends. And Paula and I worked together and we were very close friends. And so for me to say, hey, I just want to talk to you for a little while, let's, let's walk down the beach and sit and talk, that would have not been not normal. I mean, we would talk about life, we would talk about work, we would talk about different things. And so for me to say, hey, let's go talk, she would have thought that was fine. So we sit down on a bench, and I look over to her, and I said, Paula, I would like to tell you some things on my heart. Now she's probably like, oh, boy, here we go again, <laughs> But I said, this time when I talk to you, I don't want you to say a word until I am done speaking. So don't interrupt, don't ask questions, just let me get everything out of my mouth. And she agreed. Three hours later, (laughs) I'm not joking. I said, Paul, it was two hours. She says, no, 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 it was three hours. We had to take a bathroom break in the middle of my long speech. I've been rehearsing this for years now, and we had to take a bathroom break. We came back, and in this conversation that literally lasted three hours, I said some of these things. I said, listen, it would be a grave mistake for you to not give me another chance. I then said to her, I believe that I may not be who you want, but I am who you need. And then I said to her, I want to give you some reasons why I should be your husband. Not your boyfriend, your husband. And then I said this at the end. I said, If you say no, and if I get married to somebody else someday, I want you to know that I would be settling for less than the best. A couple of ahs. Thank you so much. That was true. And so at the end of this conversation, at the end of my speech, I should say, my sermon, uh, she started to talk and we started to talk back and forth. And she did not say no, but she also didn't say yes either. (laughs) And I will not lie to you, for the next couple weeks and months, it was very, very awkward. And we had lots of conversations and lots of begging on my end. And when I say begging, I'm not joking, I begged. I begged God, I begged her, like, you don't understand. I have to be married to you. I know we're together and we should be together. And then finally, God miraculously, not only does he part the Red Sea, he parted Paula's heart. And (laughs) somehow she let me in and we've been married almost 10 years. And I tell you that because I almost didn't go for it a third time. Because for me, I, I would like taking risks, but I also like to take calculated risks. I like to know what is going to happen in the end. But so often, you and I are asked to take risks in our lives. Oftentimes, God will say, hey, I want you to go do something. And it's really crazy, and it's really big, and yet, in the end, we don't know what's going to happen with those risks. So the fear of the unknown oftentimes holds us back. But what I want to propose to you this morning... Is that when we take God seriously, when we obey him, even when we don't know what's going to happen in the future, then our most dangerous risks can lead to the greatest rewards. And what I want to show you through Jonah 3 today is exactly what happens, both for Jonah and for the Ninevites. And after I just show you what happens when Jonah takes the risks and how the Ninevites received these rewards, I want to bring it back to us. And I don't want to talk about work risks or relationship risks in the end. I want to talk about risking our faith, meaning risking a chance to actually tell somebody about what we believe. And some of you, when I say I want you to go out and share your faith, some of you are already getting nervous. But I want to show you in the end, though it's very nerve-wracking and very scary, that risk can lead to someone's eternal reward. But I want to start with Jonah. Let's go back to the passage that we looked at, looking at Jonah 3, 1 through 2. Uh, It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. We have seen over these weeks that God is a God of second chances. The first time when God goes to Jonah, Jonah said, no way. And then he heads far west to Tarshish. He's like, I don't want anything to do with this calling. And thankfully, God, he intervenes. He saves him, and he gives him another chance because God really cares about Jonah, but God really cares about the Ninevites as well. And so he is called to go to Nineveh and share the gospel. Now remember, Nineveh is a place where it is the center or the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was one of the meanest, nastiest, most violent countries in the world's history. Just to give you a picture of what was happening in Nineveh at the time, Tim Keller, he puts it this way: He says the Assyrian Empire was unusually violent. It slaughtered and enslaved countless people and oppressed the poor. It was renowned for injustice, imperialism, and oppression of other countries. This is what Assyria and Nineveh was known for. But the problem is, when you treat other people like that, oftentimes it comes back to even haunt your own people. And the people of Nineveh began to turn on each other as well. Again, Tim Keller is super helpful here. He says... The text in Jonah 3 shows that the impulse towards exploitation and abuse was also eating away at the fabric of Nineveh's society. God was tired of the Ninevites' injustices. God is a just God. And sometimes we don't get to see the justice that he will give to those who commit injustices on other people. I wish we could see that, but we don't always get to see that. Now, in the end, God will have the final say, and we're grateful for that. But sometimes we don't get to see his justice in person. Well, here we do. God's saying, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to give you justice. And we see this through what Jonah has to say. Here's what Jonah says. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on that day, Jonah entered the city. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed." Now it says that this time Jonah obeyed, but Jonah obeys reluctantly. How do I know that? Well, first of all, if you read ahead into John chapter or John chapter four, excuse me, Jonah chapter four, you see when God ends up blessing the Ninevites, Jonah is absolutely furious, and the reason that he is is because if I just put it Frank. Jonah is a racist. Jonah cares about his own people and to see God bless another people group who are violent people who should not get or deserve God's mercy, oh, he goes crazy. But more than that, listen, he is called to go and share this news with the Ninevites. And he only says one word, or one phrase. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The most important message that he needs to give the Ninevites, he says one sentence. He doesn't want them to be blessed, and so he does the bare minimum. I remember I've heard the phrase, you probably have two Cs get degrees in school. (laughs) This is exactly what he does. He does just enough to pass. But more importantly, while I think Jonah was reluctant, is in the message that he has to proclaim. He's proclaiming this message to a violent people, a group of people you don't mess with. And he doesn't go and say, hey, guys, let me tell you, I heard from God, and God is very pleased with you. Like, God really appreciates the injustices. You enslaving people, you killing people, you keep it up. God bless you. Amen. He doesn't say that. He literally goes in there and says, listen, if you don't knock it off in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. Can you imagine having to deliver that message to such a violent group of people? Anyone want to sign up for that? He, there's no, re, there's a reason why Jonah ends up running away. He has to go in and say this terrible thing. He is risking it all. It would have been so easy for a Ninevite to say, oh, this guy, who wants to kill him? Let's have some fun. He could have died at the hands of the Ninevites, but he takes the risk anyways. And what's so amazing is when you and I, we take dangerous risks, oftentimes it can lead the greatest rewards and for the Ninevites it leads not just to a great reward but eternal rewards because miraculously look what happens the people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow listen when you read the story of Jonah and I were to ask you what the greatest miracle In the book of Jonah is, many of us would say it's the great fish that swallowed Jonah. And I would say we're completely wrong. The greatest miracle in the story is when somehow this reluctant prophet says one sentence to a group of people who are known to be violent oppressors, and they immediately listen and they want to change their ways. They humble themselves. They realize that they have not been living the life that they should have been. They have not been living the life they could live. And instead of killing people and going about their ways, they recognize that they want to do something different. They listen to his message. And what I love about this passage here is that we see it says, from the greatest to the least began to fast and to put on burlap. They were sorrowful for what they've done wrong. Now, this is not just ordinary Ninevites who somehow believe this prophet's message. The most important, powerful person in all of Nineveh also listens as well. I mean, look what happens. It says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap, and he sat on a heap of ashes. We could go over this Uh, verse right here, and just keep reading, but let me tell you, it is so beautiful what happens in this very verse. The king knows that he is powerful, and the way that he displays that power is the throne that he sits on and the robes that he puts on. It marks his leadership. It marks his power, and it says, once they heard from God, he stood up he took off his robes he stepped down from the throne essentially saying this throne is not occupied by the king of Nineveh anymore this throne is occupied by the king of the universe what an incredible beautiful picture of what happens when God gets a hold of your life even the person who has all the power in the world who can wield that in a way to literally tell his people to kill anybody that he wants to be killed, he steps down and he changes his life. And not only does it affect him, it affects the people he leads. And that's why he declares over the Ninevites this. He says, the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. And who can tell if we do this perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. One pastor put it so well. When He talks about evil ways. You see that phrase show up a lot in Jonah chapter 3. And evil ways can also be synonymous with a prison. And what the Ninevites have done without even knowing it is that they've, they've gone through life and have picked up these evil ways, and these oppressive ways, and selfish and prideful ways, and what they don't even know is they're not even living the life that they could live, and instead they've imprisoned themselves. They can't get out of this cycle that they've put themselves in, and I just wonder how many of us in this room, we have found ourselves in there as well. Here's what you have to realize. If you walk through life every single day and you don't take an inventory of life, you will never recognize the things that you may be doing, the things you may be believing, the things you may be thinking, the things you may be saying are actually keeping you in a prison. It's when you recognize that holy smokes, I've been doing some things. When I say things, I'm not talking about just all the big things. I mean the little subtle things. That may be keeping God away, or keeping other people away, or hurting you as a person. When you don't step back and recognize that, you live in a prison and you don't even know it. And that's exactly what the Ninevites were doing. That's why the king, through what God said, like, listen, we got to get out of this prison. How do you do that? He says, you got to turn. The Hebrew word for turn literally means to repent. That word repent literally means to do a 180. In essence, what you're doing is you're saying, I've been in prison for too long. I want to go the opposite way. And when we do that, we can get out of a prison and we can go to rehab. The bravest people that I've ever met in my life are those who have gone to some kind of rehab. So many people, when they hear that they're going to rehab, they think they're weak. Let me tell you, they are the strongest people you'll ever meet. Because for a lot of us, We're in prison and we don't do anything about it. But for them, they recognize they're done with their evil ways and they want to change and stop ruining their family's life. What I love about the chapel, we have rehab. Not just on Sundays. This is rehab, by the way. Not just on Sundays, we have it on Wednesdays at Celebrate Recovery. There are people who go who recognize I have habits and hangups and hurts that are plaguing me and I wanna go and get out of the prison that I've been in all my life. I love that we have that. And I love that the king is saying, listen, we have to turn, we have to repent, we have to get out of prison so that not only will we be blessed and we can change our lives, maybe, just maybe, God will spare us. And uh, from destroying our lives. And that's exactly what happens. The greatest reward that they receive is that God sees them. God saw what they have done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways and he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. When I read that, I'm thinking, hold on a second. For their entire lives, The Ninevites have killed people, they've enslaved people, they've done all these things wrong. And when they decide to listen to God and change their ways, God holds back his wrath and instead gives him grace and mercy? Yes. Yes, thank God. Not just thank God for the Ninevites, thank God for you and me. See, a lot of times when we enter into a relationship with God, even though we know it's through Jesus, oftentimes we say, okay, I know what I've done wrong and I have to earn my way for the rest of my life. And we end up even putting ourselves in a prison spiritually. And the gospel, the true word of God is this, even when you recognize your evil ways, even when you turn to God and say, I'm done with them, I need your forgiveness, he will grant you grace and mercy. See, Jonah, he was reluctant He didn't want them to be blessed, but he actually opened his mouth. He obeyed God, and in the end, the Ninevites earned the greatest reward possible is that they have a relationship with God now. What happens in your life? What about the people in your life that don't know about God? How do they know? How are they supposed to hear about this God who loves them despite what they've done with their lives? How are they supposed to hear? Again, I I looked at Tim Keller because he's way more smarter than me. He puts it this way. God is by nature a sending God. He never calls us in to bless us without also sending us out to be a blessing to others. We love the first part in that second sentence. God blesses us. Man, I don't even know an ardent atheist who would say, okay, if there is a God... I truly want to be blessed by him. All of us are wired to be blessed by God. And the way that you are blessed by God is simply admitting, God, I need you. I've been in a prison all my life. I turn to you, and because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection, we get to be freed from that kind of life and we get to live our rest of our lives in rehab, knowing we're one decision away from going back into prison. But even if we do that, God will get us out. What an incredible blessed life, a life of passion, a life of meaning, a life that if you know Jesus here, you realize how blessed you are despite everything around you falling apart. Nothing can take away your eternal state with God. Then how selfish are we if we don't share that with other people? Would God have chosen somebody else other than Jonah to speak to the Ninevites? I don't know. If you're a theologian and you know Hebrew scripture more than me and you know somebody else, let me know so I don't make that same mistake at 11 a.m. service. But I've researched it and I've looked and I'm not going to make an argument from silence. I don't know. Will somebody send someone else to your family and friends? Maybe, but I don't know. But we shouldn't even ask God for plan B because we are plan A. The relationships that you have with family and friends and coworkers and even strangers that somehow are Facebook friends with you, you are in their lives for a reason. You are not just called to be blessed by God, you're called to go out and bless others in the name of God. And the way we do that is we risk it all to share our faith with those in our lives. But you may say, I don't know about that. I have some fears. And I do too. You know what's awesome about my job? When I introduce myself to somebody and they ask me what I do and I say I'm a pastor, two things happen. One, they end the conversation very quickly and it's very awkward. I'm like, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? What do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. He's like, all right, talk to you later. You know, Or all of a sudden, man, They pour out themselves to me. It's pretty cool. But outside of Mark, I don't see other pastors in the room. And for you and I, we have to share our faith. But sometimes, even pastors, there's these roadblocks that keep us from risking it all. And there's two that stick out to me. The first one is our own insecurity. Our own insecurity, like, here you are, you want to tell people about Jesus, you want to share your story of faith, and then all of a sudden, they start to ask you some crazy questions. And you're like, oh my goodness, where is Pastor Jay at right now? Like, hold on one second, Google, how do I answer this question? You know, it's really awkward when they ask a question, you're just like, I don't know. And because we think we don't know, we don't share our faith. We become insecure or we don't know what to say. Like you're out to coffee with somebody and you want to share your faith with somebody and you're like, how do I get from coffee to Jesus? So you think, all right, this coffee's hot. Hey, is your coffee hot? Yeah. Do you know what else is hot? Hell. No, you don't say that way. That's a really awkward thing to say. I would not encourage you to say that. But seriously, you're like, how do I get into this Jesus conversation? It's like, I'm really awkward about it. Or in the end, if you're like me, you just won't say anything because you want to respect that person's beliefs. Hold on a second. You want to respect that person's beliefs, and yet you believe that you have the keys to eternity and you don't want to share that with them? Are you really respecting them, or are you scared? Insecurity and the fear of the unknown keep us back from doing so many things in the name of God because we don't trust Him, we look at ourselves rather than Him. Which leads to our second risk. This is the one that I deal with more than even insecurity is uncertainty. Like, what happens if you're going to share your faith and you just don't know how they'll respond? What if all of a sudden the conversation turns? and everything was great, and you had a good relationship with this person, and all of a sudden it turns, and they get angry with you, or they yell at you. What do you do when that happens? It happened to me. I went to Cedarville University for my undergrad, and at Cedarville I had to take a class called personal evangelism. The word evangelism literally means to share your faith. And in that class, I loved Dr. Blumenstock, my professor. I loved what I was learning. But every time I sat in that class, I had anxiety. Because at the end, our project wasn't to write a paper or take a test. Our project was to walk on to the campus of Wright State and go and find someone to share a faith with them. I was petrified. And so the day came. I probably didn't sleep all the night before. Because going up to a stranger and sharing your faith, it's really, really awkward. <laughs> so I get out of the car, I had a conversation with this person over here, and it went well. Then I'm like, all right, this feels good. I'm gonna go have a conversation with somebody else. So I go down into this like basement dwelling where this guy is studying, and of course, there he is with all this homework and his books and I'm like do I interrupt this guy I'm like I'm feeling like I should go talk to him I don't know why so I'm going to so I sit down and this guy looks up he's like who is this weirdo and I start just to talk about my life I'm asking him questions about certain things and I knew that I had to somehow turn it from there to Christ I didn't want to use my coffee illustration that I gave you earlier So I just started to share a little bit, and then pretty quickly when I started to really share my faith and what Christ has done and what he wants to do for him, he visibly got angry. And I was trying to think, okay, in my class, I was thinking, what happens when they get angry? We didn't talk about that. (laughs) So here he is, he's getting angry, and then he starts to yell at me in public in front of other people. And he's creating a scene. And I am like, "Where is my professor? He is supposed to come in and help me. He is nowhere to be found. And so he starts yelling at me. And then you want to know what he yelled? He said, "What about the people in Africa who've never heard about the gospel? What about them?" And he screams that at me. And you know what I did back? I yelled back at him. I did. I won't recommend that to you. <laughs> but I did. And I yelled at him. And you know what I yelled back at him? This is God. Trust me. I said, I don't care about the people in Africa right now. All I care about is you. And right now there is a living God who's done whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. Why are you objecting it so harshly right now with anger? And I just screamed it at him. At that moment, he stopped. And he says, I think God's been talking to me for a while now. I said, What in the world? That was not what I was expecting to hear. I thought he was going to tell me to, you know, go do something with my life and expletives, but he doesn't say that. And he starts to talk about some things in his life. Then he says, Yeah, I have a roommate who he's been telling me about Christ, he's been inviting me to church. I just have been resisting and resisting and resisting. And then all of a sudden, here I am, studying, minding my own business. You come along, and you tell me about Jesus. He said, I'm ready. <laughs> I was like, if I don't get an A for this, I don't know what I have to do. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I didn't care about a grade. I'm like, this guy went from screaming at me to I got to pray with him to know Christ in the matter of moments. Yeah, it's a great story. I could give you 15 other ones that didn't end like that. But sometimes the the dangerous risks that you take can lead to the greatest rewards. I tell you that story because of all the people in the world that should not have responded to God's grace, it would have been the Ninevites. It was more miraculous than a whale swallowing a human. And one sentence changed their eternity. There are people in your life that you're so scared to tell about Jesus that they need to hear about them, and where else are they going to hear about them other than through you? And yeah, you may be risking it all. You may be putting your chips in the center, and they may not accept Christ in that moment, but someday maybe they will. Someday you may have a story like me who that person way down the road said, Oh, I remember my family member or my friend shared Christ with me five years ago, and now I want to say yes. You don't know. We have to risk it, even if we don't know the results, to hopefully see God give an incredible, eternal reward. So how do you do it? I'm going to give you three ways. And they're pretty hard, but it's okay. The first one is this. Live a life where people aren't surprised you follow Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Live a life where people aren't surprised you follow Jesus. You. If you're sitting down with a family member or a friend, and they know you go to the chapel, but they see who you really are outside the church, and you start to share your faith, and all of a sudden you start to share your faith, and they're just thinking to themselves, how can this person be telling me about God right now? Their lives look nothing like Him. We shouldn't have people in our lives that are surprised that we know Jesus. Our lives should look in such a way that people should want what we have. They may not understand it's because of Christ in your life, but they should want what we have. They should hear you share your faith and say, I didn't know why he was so loving. I didn't know why he was so graceful. I didn't know why he was so accepting. I didn't know why he or she was so generous. But wow, this makes a lot of sense. But if you're living a life where people would be surprised that you follow Jesus, you and I have some work to do because our actions must line up with our words you don't have to live perfect you got to live faithful humility is at the center of that the second thing you have to do this is the easiest one by the way is pray prayer what you're saying to God is God I can't do this on my own and if I do I will fall into the categories of insecurity of uncertainty and I won't share my faith but if I do pray and I partner with you, God. You will speak through me and we will do this together. And that's exactly what God wants to do with you. We say, my three at the chapel, we have asked everybody to, tell three, or to pray for three people that they don't know Jesus and they want to see them sitting next to them in church someday. Have a relationship with God, hopefully someday. We have Easter coming up. Let me tell you, we proclaim the resurrection very clearly, but we also do it in a way where if you bring a family or a friend, they will really think about that. And a new way why not invite them to easter it's really easy and people are open to it because it's easter who knows what god could do if you would just risk it and invite them and tell them you're praying for them and then finally i want us to be the church that god would be proud to call his own not to be a church where god's just at I want God to be proud of the chapel. Here's what I mean by that. We can gather together and we can sing and we can read the Bible, we can preach, we can sing kumbaya, but God may not be pleased. How do we know that God will be pleased with us? Well, here's what happens. We become a family in this church, a family that everyone belongs, no matter what they believe, no matter what they've done, they belong. Because that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Jesus. All the people on the inside didn't feel like they belonged to Jesus, but everybody that actually admitted they were a sinner had, had issues, they loved Jesus. I want to be a place like that. When you come in here, you feel like you belong, and then when you go into the community and you hear about the chapel, you have to come because they know no matter what they've done, they belong. And we also have to be a church that when we live it out, people are literally interacting with God in the flesh And when people walk away, they're thinking, man, that person's different. We we do that as a church body. And the third thing, and please hear me on this, truth and grace together. If you give truth without grace, you will beat somebody up. And you and I could never handle if God was truly truthful with us without any grace. But if we're gracious and we don't speak truth, then we're just really nice people, But if somehow we get the truth part and the grace part with equal measures and we explain to them that they're a sinner that needs Jesus so they can go to heaven someday but give them grace to know that they're messed up just like you're messed up and if we present that people may actually want to come here. And those who are on the outside of faith will actually want to be a part of faith just like the people in Jesus' time was. That's how we become the church that God would be proud to call his own. Let me tell you, these three things are really hard because that means you're going to live selflessly in a culture where it's all about you. But in the end, if you live that life, even though it's really difficult and you open your mouth and you live a life that God would be proud of both your life and as a church, the most dangerous risks can lead to your family's eternal rewards. Let's start doing that together as a church. Let's pray together. And Father, we give ourselves to you. We may be like Jonah and want to run, we want to run west. We may be Jonah and be reluctant, but in the end, if we open our mouths and we risk it, who knows who may say yes to you? We are your plan A. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.